You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 192. Tim, me, does a solo show. David couldn't make it, and uh, I'm not sure where Owen is. So it's just little old Tim. And it is tech fan number 192. I am Tim Robertson uh, at the moment by myself. I don't know if uh, Owen is going to show up today or not. Uh, David could not make it today, unfortunately. Uh, so I went ahead and started recording. I'm not sure, like I said, if Owen will be here or not. Uh, I can't seem to get a hold of him on the phone, via text, via Skype. So uh, no, just a little old me right now. So thanks for downloading and listening to little old me. <laughs> I am uh, getting ready to start packing my bags. In fact, when I get done recording this podcast, I need to go get a haircut. And then uh, when I get back, I'll start packing my bags and getting ready to head to the airport tomorrow. Tomorrow being uh, Saturday, uh, January 3rd. And I am flying to Las Vegas. Ooh, vacation, right? Well, no. Uh, if you listen to the other show that I host, uh, OWC Radio, you'll know that uh, Otherworld Computing has a booth at CES this year, and uh, I'm going to go there and oversee both the construction of the booth and getting everything ready in the first day of the show. So I will be in Vegas starting tomorrow to uh, oversee the guys that are building the booth on Sunday, making sure that you know the plans go according to blah, blah, blah. They're professionals. They're, they're not going to need my oversight, but I want to be there in case something comes up where the plans don't go, you know, accordingly and something, somebody has to be there to make a decision. Hey, we need to put this there and that sort of thing. So I'll be there to see that and uh, welcome everyone else from OWC who arrives Monday and we'll start setting up the booth and be ready to rock and roll on Tuesday. So I'm kind of looking forward to it. Let me, uh, it's really cold where I'm at right now. I'm going to check weather in Vegas, Las Vegas. So, you know, the nice thing is when you live in a northern place like I do here in Michigan, in the wintertime and you go to a place like California or Las Vegas, you know, Nevada, you expect warmer weather. I mean, that's kind of the, <laughs> that's the whole point of going there. It's uh, really cold here right now, and I look at what Vegas is at, and right now it's 31 degrees Fahrenheit, so it's cold. <laughs> I'm not happy about that. Um, the high is going to be up at 57 on Monday, uh, 63 on Tuesday, so I guess it's going to get a little warmer as the week goes on, but still, I, I, I was hoping for 70s and 80s, to be honest, but it is the desert, and you know, I, I guess it, it doesn't. it's not always hot blistering hot in the desert i just wish it was while i was going to be there it'd be a nice change from the really cold weather that i've been experiencing the last uh oh i don't know month and a half actually it hasn't been a real bad winter here it's 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 been pretty pleasant we haven't got hardly any snow the only snow we've really got to speak of was on halloween believe it or not and now it is the new year 2015 
We still don't have any snow, and I'm hoping that holds off at least while I'm flying. And like I said, I'm flying tomorrow, and I come back on Wednesday. And uh, two weeks later, I fly to Orlando. Uh, I shop a show for OWC in Orlando. Um, I will fly out on a Tuesday. And then on Thursday morning, I fly from Orlando to Los Angeles to see another show. And then I fly back from Los Angeles uh, that following Saturday back to Detroit. So I just hope the weather isn't bad at any of these places or during my drive. It's really during the drive from my house to the Detroit airport that I worry about the most. Do you have to have, uh, do, you, do you deal with weather where you're at? Weather that, you know, it, it worries you when you have to make a long distance drive. It does me. I, I hate dealing with the weather. I hate dealing with bad traffic or eh, bad traffic's not so bad. Uh, it's it's the bad weather conditions and what they can do to the road. Here in Michigan, you know, it snows, it, it the roads get icy, they you know, trucks and cars slide off the road and slams into it, it scares me. It doesn't scare me, scare me. It it worries me. And if I have to travel the next day, I tend not to sleep very much if the weather's bad. If the weather's fine, I sleep like a baby. But if I know the weather's bad, I always want to take into account that I need to leave early because driving is going to take so much longer. And one of the things that doesn't matter where I'm going now, that makes things a little bit easier is the GPS in my iPhone. How You know, even if it's a place where I've been to a bunch of times, like the Detroit airport, I don't need to use the GPS to get there. But I kind of like to have it on. I don't know why. I like to turn it on. Uh, it's it's a little comfort blanket, if you will. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like having my GPS up and running. I, I don't know why. It's not like I'm going to get lost, especially from my house to the Detroit airport. Literally, once I hit I-94, it's two turns and I'm there. It's nothing. Um, but I don't know. I just I like the comfort of the GPS running, knowing exactly where I am and exactly how long it's well, maybe not exactly how long, but how long it should take to get wherever I'm going. It's uh, even I don't do it in town or anything like that. But if if I have to travel for more than say an hour, and it's a place that I haven't been a thousand times, I don't know. I'll always pull the my iPhone out, put it in the cradle on my dash, and uh, set the GPS. It's kind of nice also that. If I do have to make uh, a detour, if there's an accident or something like that, I don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, I don't know where I'm at now. Um, the GPS is going to get me back to where I need to go. And that's always a, a real nice comfort. That's kind of why I wanted the 6 Plus too. That's another big reason was because of the bigger screen, it's a lot easier to see when you're in the car. It's just... Uh, it's just a bigger screen. You know, it's easier to manipulate. It's easier to see. Everything to me is better with the bigger screen. Although, like I've said in the past, the 6 Plus is pretty much the largest I'm, I'm ever going to get. I can't see going with like a, a 7 inch screen or a 6 inch screen. That would be just way too big. But I'm not alone. As you guys know, I love to get feedback from you. And again, I would love to hear from you guys. It's Tim at techfanpodcast.com or just go up to the site and uh, you can fill out the form there and contact us or show notes. You can leave a, a message right in the show notes. Eric, though, wrote one in titled uh, iPhone 6 Plus. 
And the message is, Tim, you were right. The iPhone 6 Plus is so good. Love the huge screen. The phablet makers were right. I agree with you, Eric. I never was disparaging against the bigger screens. At least, not that I remember. I remember looking at some of the cases, the big plastic spec cases for, I think it was the Samsung Note. I don't know, it was one of the big ones at the time. And this is probably 2011, late 2011, early 2012. And holding up the, the case itself, and I thought, I can't imagine a phone so big that this is the case for it. And even with my iPhone 6 Plus, I, I don't want a case that's so big that it adds a lot of bulk. Uh, because then it's, it is too big. So a slim case, uh, something that's very form-fitting, and having Apple Care Plus. To me, I do not have an iPhone unless you have Apple Care Plus. It costs 100 bucks. And it, for me, it's I think it's 79 bucks to replace this phone if it, if it breaks accidentally. If I drop it in a bucket of water, the screen cracks, something like that. Something that wouldn't be covered under a, a normal warranty. A normal warranty would be if, if the home button stopped working or the volume stopped working. Or, I don't know, it just wouldn't turn on. That would all be covered under the normal warranty. This, the Apple Care Plus is going to cover you for accidental damage. And that's kind of the key. It, it was an accident. You didn't mean to break the screen. You didn't mean to drop it into a, a toilet bowl. That's accidental. If you shot it with a gun, that's not accidental. It probably wouldn't be covered. To me, that's the best protection for your iPhone, having the Apple Care Plus. I believe you can only use it two times per device. So. <laughs> in the two-year period, you're going to have your iPhone before you're able to buy a new one if you buy it under contract. Um, remember, you can only break it twice. <laughs> so don't so don't break it more than that. Otherwise, you're screwed. But I, I love the, uh, uh, the uh, iPhone 6 Plus. It sounds like you do too, Eric. Thanks very much for sharing that. I, it's, uh, it's a great phone. I really, really do like it. But it is 2015. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that. I also have some audio feedback from Mike Breen when it comes to iPads and Chromebooks and education. Now, Mike is a teacher, and he sent an audio feedback, which is absolutely great. I'll get to that in a little bit and explain how you guys can send an audio feedback. He went the complicated route to send his in. Uh, he used GarageBand and exported to MP3 and all that. You don't have to do that. I'll explain exactly how you could do that. Uh, set an audio message much easier than the way Mike did, but you'll hear his audio quality is really good, and that's why. Um, but we'll get to that here at the second half of the show. First, though, I want to talk about 2016 and looking back at 2014. Well, 2014 is over. Um, it was a it was a fun year. A lot of changes for me. I stopped working at Mac Specialist at the very end of 2013, and. It's been over a year since I've uh, I, I was at that company. They went out of business completely, which I was sad to see. There were some really great people that worked there. Uh, I did everything I could I could to to make that company succeed. Uh, you know, when I got there, they were over a million dollars in debt in uh, 2010. And sometimes things the the hole is just it's just too deep, and you can't. You can't get out of it. Um, there was more to it than that, though. A lot more to it than that. 
but at the end of the day, I was I was sorry to leave the company, but now in 2015, I'm looking back and boy, what a good thing that that was that I left that company and started working for OWC because uh, I'm really enjoying being at OWC. It's a great company, uh, great leadership. I really like their products. I have for a long time. As the owner of MyMac.com, I've seen a lot of our writers, including myself, write reviews of their products over the years. Guy Searle and I actually went to Woodstock, Illinois to visit them uh, back in 2009 and did a on-site interview with Larry and his team. Unfortunately, we couldn't use the audio because the room we recorded in was so echoey that I, I just couldn't fix the audio. But it did give me the idea of uh, doing a podcast for a company. And the first company I approached about doing this was OWC, and, and they actually agreed to it. So in 2009 and part of 2010, I actually started OWC Radio for them. Now, uh, when I took the job at Max Specialist, I stopped doing that podcast, and I picked it up again at the beginning of 2014. And that brings us to the present I'm still doing OWC Radio. I hope you guys listen to that show as well as this one. And the MyMac show, of course. Guy is still doing that show. He's doing a great job with Gaz. And it's one of those things that... I, it's something that I created you know, four years ago. And to be able to come back and start afresh with a company, this time as an employee, it, it was such a rewarding experience. Now, I've done a lot of traveling for OWC over this last six-month period, and I've had a great time doing it. I, I don't like traveling any more than most of you probably do, uh, but I'm doing it uh, for a company that I really believe in. I like their products, and it's, uh, you know, I'm either attending a show like I did Mac Tech at uh, Manhattan Beach in California, L.A., and showing the products to people there at the show. Or it's going to shows that we, we're not showing anything, and I'm just kind of shopping the show, which means I'm going there seeing if it's something that the company should participate in the next year. And it's rewarding, and it's you know how I'm trying to help the company succeed. And I really, really like the people that I work with there. I really do, and I really like the company itself and the products. It's a great job. Even better for me was the fact that I could continue to do TechFan and own MyMac.com and do everything that I've been doing for a long time without it interfering with my day job. And it's a balancing act sometimes, but you know they understood how important these things that I do are to me and that I would never let one interfere with the other because that would not be fair. So in 2015, things aren't going to change radically for me, I hope. <laughs> you know, you never know. But MyMac.com is going to continue. TechFan is going to continue. OWC Radio is going strong. Um, a lot is uh, going on right now, and I'm having a blast. I hope you guys are enjoying listening to all the content that's being produced out there, either by me directly or indirectly through... Um, I guess you could say producing. Um, there's a lot of content that the Stoplight Network produces, and it's some great content. And it's an honor for me to be uh, involved in any way I can with some of those shows. Uh, 
But getting back to the point going forward in 2015 is a very significant year for me. It's huge, actually. And that's because back in 1995, I created this thing called My Mac Magazine. And it was my first creation online in digital format. And it was an outlet for me to get creative. That was 20 years ago now. It is 2015, and MyMac.com is still going strong. And it's been 20 years. And 20 years for any publication, I think, is uh, a feat. But on a personal level, for something that I created to still be going strong after 20 years is uh, humbling. And it's humbling because I may have got the ball rolling and started it, but it's been a huge long list of contributors over the years who made it happen, that kept it alive and kept it great. And, I, you know, quite honestly, if it was just me all this time, it would have stopped in probably 2000. If I would have put five years into it, that would have been amazing. But it wasn't just me. It was hundreds of people involved. And now, 20 years later, it's still going strong. It's just amazing what some of the writers do over there. Um, I'm so proud to be uh, involved in it to this date, 20 years later. And uh, I don't see that changing it at all, at all, anytime soon. So it was a great uh, first 20 years. I'm looking forward to the next 20. <laughs> I'll be uh, uh, 65 <laughs> 20 years from now because I, I turn uh, 45 this month. Anyways, uh, let's uh, move beyond nostalgia. Let's take a quick break, and I'll be right back. Now let me tell you something, brother. All you Hulkamaniacs, get out your shovels, your cultivators, and your sunscreen, and listen to the Your Own Victory Garden podcast on the Stoplight Network. What you gonna do when Hulk Hogan's green thumb runs wild on you? Back here on Tech Fan, uh, still no Owen. Um, so it's still just me. <laughs> Love to have feedback from you. It's uh, Tim at TechFanPodcast.com or just go to TechFanPodcast.com and uh, <clears throat> submit your comments there. Leave a message under the uh, show notes, that sort of thing. Got to take a drink. Diet soda. One of the things I could tell you from 2014, I've lost about 25 pounds. No special diets, no special... I did start exercising, but I hurt my heel, so I've been doing a lot less of that over the last few months. Um, But still, 25 pounds in one year is not bad. I think I got another 25 pounds to go, and I'll be happy. That'll put me around 180. I think that'd be a good weight for me. One of the problems about losing weight, though, is you have to buy new clothes. Or, hopefully, like me, you were too lazy to throw away your old jeans, and you can still pull those out. But the uh, notch on my belt is uh, getting lower and lower. So, that's still a good thing, though, right? 40, 45 years old, almost, and losing weight? That's a good thing. I think I talked about I, that, I actually, <laughs> that I actually grew. I didn't actually grow, but... That's the joke in the house right now that I lost weight and I grew because for years and years, it even says on my driver's license that I'm 5'11". Turns out I'm six foot. <clears throat> the, you know, I actually went to a doctor and I got measured and I'm six foot tall. 
and I thought all these years I was 5'11". I always wanted to be six foot. I don't know why. Six foot sounded better than 5'11", you know? Ooh, how, how tall are you? Six foot. Well, I am now. So that's kind of cool. Earlier I said I've got audio feedback from Mike Breed. Like I said, Mike is an educator. He's also a contributor at MyMac.com. He writes some reviews. He's been on a few podcasts in the past. And he will be again because he sent in this audio interview, or this audio uh, commentary. And I'm going to play that. But before I get to that, I want to explain how you can send in audio feedback. Look, this show is listened to people all across this planet. It really is. I'm not exaggerating. And maybe you have an accent and you're worried about sending it in because, oh, I I don't speak real good English. That's okay. If anything, that adds flavor to the show. And I appreciate it. Whatever the reason is, forget about that reason. Send us feedback and send us audio feedback. It's super, super simple. This is how you do it. And now this is uh, predicated on having an iPhone. I'm sure there's an Android solution for this as well, but I have never researched it. I've got a couple Android phones that I could probably test it with, but I'm not going to do that right now. Every iPhone that ships comes with a application called Voice Memo. If you launch that application, you'll see a big red button. If you hit it, it starts recording a Voice Memo, you. So you simply record, and when you're done, hit the red button again. You can name your recording if you want, but you don't have to. But there's the little square with the up arrow. You can click that, and mail will come up as one of the uh, options. If you click mail, you can actually email that recording. And just send it to tim at techfanpodcast.com. I will get... That audio file sent to me in the mail. Don't make it three hours because it won't send. It'll be too big. Try to keep it under, say, three to five minutes. If you want to go longer than that, let me know, and I'll, I'll explain to you how. But let, three to five minutes, no more than that. Hit that send button, Tim, at techfanpodcast.com. It'll come directly to me, and we'll just drop it right here in the show, and David and Owen and I will uh, discuss. But that's not what Mike Breen did he uh mike breed actually sent a a pretty lengthy piece of audio that he recorded in GarageBand. so let's play that real quick hey tim i've enjoyed listening to your recent reviews on the hp chromebook as a teacher i've been hearing a lot of talk about chromebooks and education and other technology related podcasts and all but yours all i've heard are a bunch of technology pundits spouting off about what's best for education And yet, not one of them are in the education field. This is pretty common in education. People think that they know what's best for schools since, you know, they went to one after all. Well, I'm glad your show added the element of a perspective from a student's standpoint. To my knowledge, no other podcast has done that yet. With all of that being said, I'd like to add the perspective from yet another standpoint, one that's far too often overlooked when it comes to making decisions and choices about education. The perspective from teachers 
actually using and implementing technology in academically feasible ways in schools is nearly always neglected. Again, that's true in many area, other areas of education, but that's for another type of show. I'm going to give you my perspective as a teacher in a district that has chosen to implement an iPad one-to-one initiative. Every one of our students receives a school-issued iPad. Currently, they're receiving iPad 4s during the first month of school. Yes, they take them home each day. We collect them at the end of the school year to inspect and refurbish them as necessary. Many podcasts have eschewed the virtues of Chromebooks over iPads, but I feel it's being done without some very important background information about Apple's educational support that many people don't have unless they're in the educational field. First, I'd like to address cost. We're currently purchasing iPad 4s and lots of 25 for less than $300 a piece. That's a significant savings, and it's a price comparable to that of most Chromebooks. They also offer discounted Apple Care to schools, which is an absolute necessity. You know how kids can be. We're taking funds that were once perennially in our budget to purchase new PCs and other equipment, and, along with some wise use of state funding, we are able to purchase iPads for our students with absolutely zero increase to our taxpayers' annual levies. That's important to make a program like this work. Apple supports these initiatives in a huge way. Apple representatives actually come to our district and work with us personally to make our implementation of iPads into our networks work. We're currently implementing our iPads into a Windows-based Novell network, which many people didn't think was possible, but you know what? It's working. They provide software to manage the iPads remotely. Our IT department can see every app on any student's iPad and can add or delete them as deemed appropriate. We're required to do this via save legislation in our state, which mandates that we protect children from harmful Internet exposure, which includes apps. We can filter what content they can view on the iPads while on the school Wi-Fi as well. Students can link their Apple IDs to the schools via virtual tokens, allowing them to download apps that the school has already purchased for their use. Google isn't sending anybody out to help schools in this way. And as far as I can tell, they've taken a hands-off approach, which is the wrong direction when it comes to children in public schools, in my opinion. The battery life of an iPad is all day. They live up to Apple's 10-hour claim, unlike many Chromebooks claims regarding battery life. We keep extra chargers and cables in class for the inevitable students who neglect to charge their iPads before school. iPads are excellent tools for content creation as well, whether it's using the camera to create iMovie videos, iStop Motion to create stop motion videos, which are very handy in science classes, I might add, pages for word processing, or any of the other myriad of productivity apps in the App Store. We're pretty fortunate in that our director of technology is quite generous in providing and purchasing apps or books for our students when we request them. Kids are no longer lugging around those huge 20-plus pound backpacks as much as they used to, and that's probably saving a few kids' backs. I'm heavily using iTunes U to support my class activities. You can see my class pages at Shenango Valley High School in the K-12 section of the iTunes U Hub. Other teachers are utilizing websites such as Schoology to interact with their classes. Both are real easy for the students and provide a huge service for educators. I really like the ability to send a quick notification to my students during the school day to remind them about tests, quizzes, homework assignments, lab reports, and the like. Yes, having multiple users on the same iPad is more difficult than it is when using a Chromebook. 
but a school-issued iPad is assumed to be used by the student it's issued to. It's not in the student's best interest to have their parents or friends accessing the devices. At least that's my opinion. I'd also say that printing can be a bit problematic with iPads in school, but our district is using funds from a recent New York State initiative to purchase and install printing kiosks in key areas of our buildings. File management isn't a big issue either. We have an app that allows students to access their school network drive at any time. I also take advantage of the Dropbox and Google Drive apps with my classes, and I encourage them to use them as backup apps all the time. Apps we frequently use, such as Notability, have these features already built into their settings, so it's no big deal to use them. So you see, there's a lot to this that people that aren't behind the scenes, so to speak, don't get to see. No matter which device your students are using, have no doubt that portable computing is most definitely the future in education. Paper textbooks are slowly going by the wayside, which is sad in some ways, but a step forward in others. Thanks for listening to another Perspective, Tim. Hopefully mine will help some people better understand some of the issues facing teachers and schools when implementing technology with their children. Thank you very much, Mike. Seriously, that was uh, a great perspective. You're right. Uh, Too many people who aren't in education, that their only relatability to what's going on in schools was the fact that they went to school 20 years ago. (laughs) And... As we both know, schools are a lot different nowadays than they were 20 years ago. As somebody who has kids still in uh, elementary school, uh, first grader, to uh, third year of college, you know, I've got quite a spread of um, age groups with our kids. I've seen changes in, uh, look, my, my oldest daughter, who's, like I said, third year in college, she was one of the first groups of kids to get her own laptop in school. At the time, it was, um, I think it was a crappy Dell running Windows, and the darn thing broke all the time. And I think it was like 500 bucks per computer per, for the, per computer per student. And it was a one-to-one laptop initiative. But they were junk machines. And when the iPads came out, I thought this this should really be the future of what kids should be using in school. And now that we have Chromebooks, which are basically, uh, you know, it's a laptop, but it's basically the same price point. And you can get Chromebooks starting at $199 as well. Uh, usually those are 11 inch. I'm kind of torn. And I think it's really a school-to-school um, decision that has to be made, whether you're going to go with Google or Apple. With And I, I, I want to say Windows as well, but it's just not as convenient as the Chromebooks for students. It really isn't. And I'm sure that there's educators out there or parents of, of school-aged children who would disagree with me, but you'd have to make a pretty compelling argument because... And from what I've seen, and from what I've heard, which is all, of course, anecdotal uh, evidence. I mean, it's not, you know, it's, it's not concrete. I haven't seen studies, but it seems like schools are going either iOS, iPad, or the Chromebook route. I'm not sure which is better.
Now, your arguments for the iPad are very convincing. And my experience of watching my sixth grader use a Chromebook is, uh, is as powerful because I could see the difference that it makes in the kids who are using them and the school. They're inexpensive, easy to replace. It's not tied to one student in that you can uh, just give them another Chromebook. They sign into their account. They're good to go. It's exactly, I, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, to me, that's what puts Chromebooks ahead of the iPads. And I think Apple needs to work on this. With the iPad, it's not as easy just to sign in and all your apps are there. Everything is right there. Google and what they've done with the Chrome OS in education is, I think, a better approach in that the device doesn't matter. All the data is, is in the cloud. They just sign into their account, and it's just there. I think that's a better approach, and it's easier to manage from a school IT perspective. And I do have some experience there because I've dealt with school IT administrators in, uh, as part of Mac Specialist and, and seeing what it's like to deploy iPads to big institutions and even to companies. Apple has a lot of work, I think, to make the iPad as easy to use for school administrators as the Chromebooks are. Google's got that part right. Where I think Google has got it wrong, and you did talk about this, was their support for schools. They don't seem to have an entire dedicated part of the company who goes out of their way that makes visits to the schools to, to really help the IT administrators at these schools and the teachers get the most out of their technology. I've visited uh, a couple now trade shows for education. In fact, I talked about going to Orlando later this month. It's an educational trade show in technology. And I'm looking at the companies that are there and who's conspicuously absent as both a sponsor and someone who's on the showroom floor is Google. And I would think Google would want to get in with education because A, it's lucrative. B, uh, the students are your future customers. You make them loyal to your brand at that point, they're going to buy when they become adults. At least that was Apple's kind of push into education back in the 80s and 90s. And it looks like they're doing so again in a big, bad way. So Google has a ways to go. But I think the technology that they're using and how they're implementing it is the right path. And it's a path that I think Apple has to get much better at. And when I say the path, I mean services. Google understands services. Apple doesn't. They never have. iCloud is kind of a joke. Look, I use iCloud. Most of you probably use iCloud. It's a joke. When it comes to education, it's a joke. When it comes to multi-user, it's a joke. I know they just came out with this family plan where you can blah, 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 blah. It's a joke. Google's got it right, and it's not that complex from an end-user perspective. Apple's, however, is super complex. I don't. It, their services division is almost anti-Apple 
and how many roadblocks they seem to put in front of people to use their services. It, it's it's bad. It just is bad. And I think it's the number one area that Apple really needs to address moving forward. As great as the new iPhones are, and like I said at the beginning of the show, I love my iPhone 6 Plus. I love my new iPad Air 2. It's fantastic. It's the best iPad I've ever used. I'm not rushing out to buy a Chromebook. I am firmly in the Apple camp when it comes to that device. But that said, the Chromebooks are really great for education because the services are so much easier to use. From an IT perspective, it's a no-brainer. All the hard work has been done. That's not true with Apple stuff. I think they've done a piss-poor job in services. I, like I said, iCloud is a joke. It just is. It's good at locking the devices. But just today, if you go to, as, as I record this, it's Friday, it's almost noon. If you go to uh, the website to look at your pictures, iCloud, oh, guess what? The pictures aren't there. The app is missing. No word from Apple on what's going on. So if you were using an iCloud account for your classroom for pictures, guess what? Not there right now. You can't do that when it comes to services like that. You can't do it. You can't not have it available. And if it's going to be down because you're switching over to a new app or something, then you have to let people know that. Otherwise, people and companies and education is never going to take your product seriously because they can't rely on it. And reliability, ease of use, and support are the three big pillars when it comes to software and services in education. And I think Apple's got two of the three right, and I think Google's got two of the three right. Whoever gets three of the three right is going to be the ultimate winner, in my opinion. Anyways, thanks very much again, Mike, for uh, sending in the feedback. Um, you know, you, you guys can find us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, you can find me at MyMac, M-Y-M-A-C, and... Tech Fan Podcast has a Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash techfanpodcast. So if you haven't liked us on Facebook, please do so. Uh, when we start getting a little bit more activity up on the Facebook page, I'll start contributing a whole lot there. You'll get exclusive content, but I'm not doing it yet because we're less than 100 likes so far on our Facebook page. So if you guys get serious with the uh, Facebook page, I'll start recording and, and posting some exclusive content on the Facebook page. But we got to get over 150 likes on there before I'm going to start doing that. Um, something else that came in this week that I've been playing with. Uh, Samsung shipped a uh, monochrome wireless printer. It's an SLM2020W slash XAA. <laughs> I know, right? Here's a funny thing. I just got rid of a laser printer that I really liked. It was an old Lexmark uh, 322 something. It was a great printer. Uh, the it, it lasted forever. I only charged, changed the cartridge in it once. Uh, but it just stopped printing correctly. It wouldn't pull paper from the tray. And it was a big printer. And it was taking a lot of space up on my shelf on my desk. So I got rid of it. And then this one shows up. And this one, quite honestly, is about eh, not quite half the size, but close to half the size of the other printer. Uh, it's inexpensive. It's less than 70 bucks. Now, this isn't color, and it is a laser printer, so it's really a document printer. 
but we do have a need for document printing in the household. Um, anything from, you know, my, my daughter needs to print something to my wife needing to print up um, whatever she wants to print. As long as it's not pictures, basically. It's a perfect printer for that. And uh, for less than 70 bucks, that's not bad at all. It took me about, I don't know, two minutes to get it set up on my wireless network. And because it's wireless, I don't have to have it on my desk. In fact, it's not on my desk. It's in another area of the room. All I had to do is plug it into the wall, and it's good to go. All the software that you need to set it up, I downloaded it from Samsung's website, uh, ran the setup program, it saw the printer, it joined my network, I renamed it uh, Samsung Laser, and uh, there it is. It, it, the nice thing is, also, you can print directly to it from your iOS device. Uh, you can also print to it from the Chromebook, and wirelessly, obviously, through the Mac. So far, I like it a lot. Haven't put it through its paces too much when it comes to printing. It's not the fastest printer. Um, and it, it kind of, I don't want to say it mangles the, the the paper when it comes through, but it has that, you could tell it went through a roller look to it, where really good printers don't do that. But uh, I look forward to playing with it some more. I like it a lot. You know what else I like? I like playing video games. And I've been playing one a lot lately on my iPad. Now, I'm kind of bummed out that David isn't here because David hates EA. And as soon as I start talking about this, he'd start ranting against EA. <laughs> but this is a game I think EA kind of got right. It's called SimCity Build It. It's on uh, the iOS store and it is a free game with, you guessed it, in-app purchases. And it is another one of those games that you could do a little bit and then you have to wait for the timers to run out. But the timers in this game is more realistic in that the whole point of this game is you're building a city. You don't control little characters like The Sims. Um, it's just city building. And I kind of like that. You start very simple and then you start adding residents and uh, you know, services like um, fire stations and factories. And you know, you gotta, the factories have to make plastic. And, and steel and then you use those in a store to build hammers and shovels and you need the hammers and shovels to build something else that will allow your city to grow it's very much micromanaging but on a macro level in that you do it for about well, five minutes at a time and you put it away come back to it a couple hours later five minutes of game and you're done and you come back to it an hour after that one thing I don't like is it doesn't use iCloud to sync, i.e. the game that I've got running on my iPad isn't the same game I've got running on my iPhone 6 Plus. What would have been better, at least in my opinion, is to have uh, you know, that online connectivity between my different devices so that when I go to my iPhone, it's the same city. You know, It doesn't work that way. So I've actually got, I've got it on my iPhone and I've got it on my iPad and I've got two different cities going. And that's kind of neat too in that I'm going a different route with my iPhone city than I am my iPad city. I'm doing things in a different order. I'm laying things out differently. Um, you know, the end game is, is still the same. You're building a city. It's the same map. It's the same buildings that you're building. So it's not a whole lot different, but I, I don't know. I feel like I'm taking more chances with the iPhone than I am the iPad. The iPad is my mega city, if you will, and my iPhone is my town. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm doing better on my iPhone, to be honest, my my the people that who live in the city, uh, at our I think it's a hundred percent happiness right now, 
and my iPhone I'm like at 96. Although on my iPad for a while I was really low. I made the mistake, if you download this game, I made the mistake of putting uh, services real close to buildings and houses. In other words, uh, it comes up and it says, hey, you have to have a, a sewage. Your city's getting so big now that you have to have sewage. So I, I lay in my sewage uh, building and I put it real close to the houses thinking, well, you know, it has to be close, otherwise it's not gonna work. That's not true. Um, and so my the people who lived in those houses weren't happy it's a little emoticons above it that you can see that they're not happy. They don't like it because they, it stunk. <laughs> so when I finally figured out, okay, move all my dirty stuff, the power plants and the factories and the sewage, uh, all of that, move that as far away from the actual city itself, it'll make the characters happy, and it still supplies the power and the water and all that. You just don't have to have it right on top of the buildings. So if you download this game, SimCity Build It, and I'll put a link in the show notes. So look for uh, Tech Fan Podcast number 192 at techfanpodcast.com. And there'll be a link right to SimCity Build It. It's a fun game. It, it's, you know, there's no attacking. You don't attack other people. I know eventually that there's um, like natural disasters happen. And I've been collecting these keys. Um, I, I, I don't know where that's going. Um, I, I kind of look forward to getting there, but I'm not there yet. I think. Level 13 is the highest I'm at on my iPad, and level 11 is where I'm at on my iPhone right now. But I'm having a good time with it. You know, it's one of those games that I don't have to worry about somebody coming in and raiding my village, uh, getting there and finding out half the stuff that I've collected over the last two weeks have been stolen by another player online. It's none of that stuff. It's not a clash of clans type of thing. Uh, it's just simply building a city. You can trade goods on there. You can buy goods from other players. You can't attack them. You can't do anything like that. At least I haven't seen that. Maybe that's what the natural disasters are. Maybe I can go into someone's city and, and cause an earthquake. I don't know. I, I, I don't think I would do it myself, but somebody would definitely do it to me because it always happens. But it's a fun game. And, uh, you know, you could spend money and get a higher level much faster, but I'm not spending a dime. I'm really not. Look, if I continue to play this for a couple more weeks, maybe I'll spend a little bit of money just to show support for the developer. But otherwise, it's free to play. It's a lot of fun. doesn't take a lot of resources on your iOS device. And it's available right now in the App Store. And again, I'll have links in TechFanPodcast192, the show notes at TechFanPodcast.com. So with that, I'm um, going to wrap up this episode. I know it's a little bit shorter than, than normal, but I need to uh, I need to go get my hair cut. I need to get my bags ready and make sure all the clothes that I need in Vegas is nice and clean and folded. And, you know, the last thing I want to do is wake up tomorrow morning and try to rush and get everything done to make my 4 p.m. flight out of Detroit. I'd love to hear from you guys, though. Send feedback to tim at techfampodcast.com. And, again, the... Audio feedback would be uh, even better. I love hearing voices. Mike, thanks a lot for sending in that audio feedback. I'd love to hear from other people as well. And we'll see you, uh, you know, I'll be back next week on Wednesday, Wednesday evening. So we will have another Tech Fan Podcast next week. Make sure you're checking out OWC Radio as well uh, while I'm at CES. And I'll, 
I'll record some while I'm there. I'm going to do some interviews with different people. I don't know who yet. I don't know to the extent of these interviews, but I'm going to record uh, live content at CES for the OWC radio podcast. So make sure you listen to next week's OWC radio and uh, you can hear some live content from CES. And of course, here on TechFan, I'll talk about what I saw at CES. I don't know how much of an option I'm going to have to walk around the showroom floor to see other booths, but I'll talk about CES next week as well. Thanks for listening. See you then.